Hello and welcome to Let's Get Psyched, a program that explores the controversial and challenging issues from a psychological and psychiatric perspective, as well as the implications for clinical practice. I'm your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks of UCR's Counseling and Psychological Services. I'm joined by my co-host, child and adolescent psychiatry fellow, Dr. Tosha Yamaguchi. Hi, Tosha. Hi, Dr. Parks. Third-year psychiatry resident at UCR, Dr. Diem Nguyen. Hi, Hi. Diem. Hi, thank you for having me. And we're lucky to have a guest co-host, Dr. Alan Atkins. He's a local psychiatry resident. He studied psychology at Tulane University and attended medical school at Brown University. He formerly worked as a behavior therapist serving child protection and probation clients. Hi, Alan. Hi. The views expressed on Let's Get Psyched to those of the speaker, they do not represent UCR, UCR Counseling and Psychological Services, or UCR's School of Medicine. Well, today's show, we're going to talk about antisocial uh, personality disorder and to maybe clear up some things about that. I, I, I'm thinking it might be an interesting show. I know a lot of people like things like true crime, and I kind of feel like that, I think people like understanding like that sort of like kind of dark side of, of a human psyche. But before I get to that, I do have uh, um, some things that were kind of in the news. There was a, a study about offering thoughts and prayers. So there's been a lot of mass shootings in the last few months. And one of the first things that um, officials usually say is things like, um, our thoughts and prayers go out to you or the, uh, the people, the victims, the, fam the uh, families of the victims. And they studied this and they found that that did have an appeal for religious folks, but that people that were not religious or agnostic, that they actually didn't like it. They did not want that. That actually made them feel worse. So what, what are your thoughts? Is that surprising or... Do you, feel, do you ever do you offer thoughts and prayers? I was in a simulation uh, a couple weeks ago where we had to, it was like a training uh, exercise, and we had to enact what would be horrible patient care. And it was uh, like a self-development exercise. I think it was led by, the, by some palliative care folks. And the person that I was teamed up with uh, what she suggested, which we ended up doing for our sort of uh, skit that we had to do, was that I would be a grieving patient and she would be my significant other or person who came with me. And she would say to the doctor, all we want, thank you so much. All we want is for you to pray to us. And then the doctor would say, I'm sorry, I don't pray with patients. And that would be the example of horrible care. And for me, it was interesting. You know, I I personally am uh, don't don't have an higher what, power. What was good care? That sounded like that sounded kind of like good boundaries. If he was saying, but that was horrible care. That was an example. well. So yeah. So I think uh, her idea, and and I I'm not gonna I guess weigh in either way, but I certainly am compelled by both sides. Uh, her idea was that you know we straight up told the doctor. It would be helpful for us for you to pray with us. This is a guy who just got pancreatic cancer. And then the doctor says, "Oh, sorry, that's not evidence-based." Or, "Oh, sorry, oh, okay. I don't I do. I don't. I'm not religious." And sounded kind of cold. Now that you put it that way, yeah. It sounds, but sounds it, cold. It, we made it like that for our skit. We, the goal was to kind of have entertaining skits too. It was a it was a contest, but it was it kind of uh, was a new thing for me that oh, this is. Yeah. someone's idea of horrible care because I don't think I've ever offered someone prayer in my life. No, no you know, a, and, and of course neither have I. I I've said before that I'm I'm not a religious person, but I was raised in that. And I have to say this, though, that I've had 
a few clients say, may, may I start this session with prayer? And so my attitude has been, fine, I'll be respectful. Because this is what I think. I think I'm going to go a certain um, a, a way, a certain amount. I'm going to go a, a certain length to respect the person's culture. That's how I feel about it. It's almost like I'm a vegetarian too, so um, or a pescatarian. So if someone offered me meat because uh, that's what they had and that was their culture and I was in another country or something, I'd be respectful and I'd eat it. I wouldn't say, well you need to just go away and you just can come back with some vegetarian dishes because I ain't going to eat that. I, I feel like it's super disrespectful. So I I would bow my head and I would not pray myself, but I would just be respectful. Right. What, what is your thought? I Dean? also think there's a difference, though, between like, can we take a moment of like to just close our eyes and have like a shared prayer? And there's a difference with saying, oh, our, my thoughts and prayers are out there after a mass shooting. One is very like respectful and the other one just kind of sounds patronizing like thank you we've had five mass shootings your thoughts and prayers i think are kind of not working at this point let's do something else besides just thought and pray yeah i feel like it's been said so many times i feel like that it does feel a little bit overused yeah right? i think that's a main problem i hear when i hear thoughts and prayers like that's great i've heard I mean, that before for me myself i don't care if they say that it's kind of just in one ear out the other i don't care it doesn't bother me but um what does bother me is when policy wise they don't act exactly it sounds like a false attitude you're saying it to like pat one person on the shoulder bring them in the back like the nra is like you're working for the nra how is that helpful yeah, I, I, that, that's definitely hits home for me. It's like, what about profit margin? Like your thoughts and prayers are in one place, but your profit margins are in another. Yeah, so the genuineness thing comes up. If they mean it genuinely, yeah. but now it seems kind of exactly a patient a asking there. you, like, can I have a moment to like, can you, will you take a moment to pray with me? Is personal. It's genuine. It's honest somebody posting on Facebook or Twitter like my thoughts and prayers are with the victims and like they're like a government representative right, and right. like they're probably funded by the NRA at some that's point that's not their like, thing they, not... their thing is to help like in a substantive way no I get it I get it that, sound, that sounds that sounds good oh, okay and here's another um, I'm going to completely change this topic because now I'm going to mm. talk about another study which is that when introverts were asked to act like extroverts they were happier what <laughs> Whoa. According to this one study, again, all these one study things are just you know fodder to Can talk you give about. me an example? Yeah. Like what what was the methods used? Well, I mean, they okay, so they they divided people, but through um, an evaluation about who was um, uh, introvert and who was an extrovert, and then they told the introverts to be talkative, uh, assertive, spontaneous. Those sound all, but here's, here's my issue with the study. Those sound really fun things to do. Just It's almost like saying, have fun at a party. Versus like <laughs> if you asked extroverts to act like introverts. Yeah, the introvert words were be deliberate, be quiet, and reserved. So that almost says, don't be, don't have fun at the party, be a wallflower. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that study was a little bit. It didn't say take time for yourself, do things that you need to do. All the fun introvert charge. things, right, Alan? Yeah. <laughs> Also, how long was this like? How long did they make them be an extrovert? Because isn't week. that the whole thing? Like one consistently week. for one week with and no then off they, time. Yes, and then they evaluated them and they said that they were happier. Now, I feel like this is very behavioral too. Yeah. If you act like a happy person, in this case... It's like behavioral activation. Yeah, kind of, sort of. Mm -hmm. Sort of is. So, I mean, I feel like... And have you ever instructed or advised a client to act gregarious 
go to a party and have fun act act like you're having fun and act because I've actually had the opposite too I actually had people a lot of depressed people say I'm sick of putting on a face I have to act happy all the time I just can't be myself and I'm just sick of it have I'm you instructed people that I need you to be talking of a service spontaneous right now. I do behavioral activation, like let's schedule the things you want to do, but I don't specifically, I mean, unless I guess if they said that I want to go to more parties then I'd be like, yeah, let's schedule you some parties. I think I, I'm a pretty big believer in that, in, in behavioral activation. I think there is in some ways what we do in CBT is Well, a you fancy. studied behavioral therapy, right? Yeah, uh, maybe not any more than anyone else in this. Well, world, your introduction said you were a behaviorist. <laughs> yeah, so that, so uh, behavior. I should clarify though. Behavior therapist is like a rank below. It's two ranks below you. <laughs> okay. It's like a. It's a. Uh, it's a rank below like a clinical. Oh, okay. Yeah. Can you describe what worker. is a behavioral therapist? A behavior therapist is someone. So so. Uh, so just someone who practices it's, CBT and It's DBT? not a licensed position, though, is it? It's only licensed because I I don't. It, it is licensed if you work for an agency, but that license is not a license that depends on a degree. It's a license that would probably be similar to like what an ABA provider would have. So youth specialist, uh, behavior therapist. There are these bachelor's level roles with. Uh, continual training throughout the job and some amount of initial training but nothing compared to like a two-year master's and they carry out um, targeted you know that smart acronym um, so measurable and attainable interventions uh, mostly for kids receiving school-based services home services wraparound so let's do all these Yeah, so I was a wrap a wraparound therapist. So um, it's a lot of court ordered and child protection ordered clients, and and the idea is you're going to get this person who's cheaper than a full psychologist, cheaper even than an MFT or LCSW. Boy, so behavior therapists, I should really try to smash them down because they're kind of horning in on my territory. <laughs> on your turf. Yeah, well, you or maybe they're doing really the things you don't want to do. Though. Right. Yeah. So oh, so yeah. it's a lot of babysitting. Uh, and it's a lot of first-line intervention in situations like, yeah. that can be violent. So yeah, like you go to the you homes, you go to their You're really schools, on the front line, right? I was attacked yeah. quite a few times oh, during that okay. time. So. Yeah, you're right. Go ahead and do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all, right, all right, all right. We don't want to get too much in the weeds there because we want to keep moving on. Fair and the final thing is, I was, were you shocked that one in 16 women said their first sexual experience was oh, a yeah. rape? I read that. Was that yeah. higher or lower about what you thought? That was higher than what I thought. Yeah. Yeah, I was surprised. Higher. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's I don't very. Think about how I usually don't think about how many women have their first sexual experience yeah, yeah. as rape. But when you when you heard <laughs> it though, was it like wow? That's yeah, yeah. I was surprised. Yeah, three three and a half, uh, three. And they said million. it would be higher if they included women under seventeen and older women too. Oh yikes! No, there's something going on. We we haven't had a show yet on sexual deviancy. Which we I, should do that, yeah. We should definitely, because it's it's very difficult to talk about. Yeah. yeah, and and I feel like most people don't think there's effective treatment, which is a good segue to our actual topic. So antisocial personality disorder. We're also talking about borderline personality disorder, right? If we have time, okay. yes. <laughs> because I've dominated the first half of the show with my <laughs> articles. I'm a little factoid person, so I only gave you some facts. So, But yeah, we'll see. So, okay, so antisocial personality um, so it, it there's now there it, it, it historically we've known things like uh, psychopaths, there's a psychopathy, 
now, when the, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, that's how we diagnose folks, there's certain specific criteria to diagnose someone as an antisocial personality, and that's what we're going to talk about. But we'll also touch on psychopaths. But um, And you have to ha- meet certain criteria. So these criteria, at least in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, are things like you repeatedly break the law, you're lying, you're conning others, you're impulsive, you're not planning, you're fighting, you're disregard disregarding other people's safety, you're responsible, you have a lack of remorse. And there's also the qualification that there has to be this um, hints and there has to be indication that you were like this before the age of 15. So there's uh, and there's got to be some conduct disorder when you're that's called conduct disorder when you're adolescent. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some research that shows that um, you know there's two kind of two different types. There's the more impulsive type, and there's the more kind of a, um, a, a colder, aggressive, predatory type. And they did find that with kids. If they have the latter, if they were the more colder, predatory, there's it's it doesn't look good. The outlook doesn't look good for them mm-hmm. as far as treatment. Prognosis is poor. Yeah. Right. But what what's been your experience with antisocial personality? I don't know. How would you treat antisocial personality with um, medication? If if like what do you what think about the antisocial personalities that you have treated? What medications did you Mood prescribe? Stabilizers. Mood stabilizers. Now, is that because they also had a comorbid, they also had a diagnosis of bipolar disorder? I think it's more to like control the impulses because the ones that we see are more impulsive and they end up, that's how they end up in the hospitals or jails. Um, But so the um, goal is to try to tone down the impulses and the irritability they have with people. And then I feel like antipsychotics also to slow them down <laughs> if they do go crazy. If there's any kind of uh, <laughs> like um, a, a bizarre thinking or um, if there's any kind of delusional thinking, yeah. then you'll, you'll prescribe an antipsychotic maybe. Yeah. And also if there's any aggression, I'll prescribe an anti- antipsychotic, like I said, to slow them down. Some people can also Safer use antidepressants if they want to try to work on anger or if they have some anxiety underlying anxiety you know I, but I kind of wonder about like you're talking about SSRIs or something like that mm-hmm. like Prozac or something but you know what I, this this could be another show but I'm thinking like you know some of the SSRIs I, I've talked to people that have taken them they said I feel like I don't care now I feel like I have less of a conscience mm-hmm. like I before I had this overactive conscience and now I take this SSRI and you know like Prozac yeah that can happen yeah, yeah so okay wait so then antisocial just, personality, you have not much of a conscience, and you give them an antis- antidepressant, would they have even less of a conscience? Well, it's not a guarantee that that's the effect it will right, have, right? right? Yeah. Ideally, well, I don't think you're there are any medications that are supposed to work with antisocial personality. Yeah, I disorder. actually ran into some research about that. It's not definitive, right? Yeah, there's yeah. nothing, nothing FDA approved right? for antisocial it's all off, personality. It's all, yeah. Yeah. It's all off-label. Even therapeutically, um, they say consider the patient on a spectrum. So if they're more antisocial and for general terms, like you're thinking more psychopath, um, which now has become a term where we think of even less remorse, less anxiety, um, uh, Well, let's talk criminal. about psychopaths. So, okay. Yeah. So yeah. now... The difference with psychopaths, see, the, the thing with antisocial personality, there's these definite criteria, rule breaking and fighting and things like that. You know, I've heard it even called things like, you know, prisoner personality disorder because mm. so many pri- male prisoners have yeah. antisocial personality. Well, there's a, there's a, a racial bias in that, that w- that's been demonstrated. So, definitely. Yeah. Um, people of color, particularly people from the African American community, have been 
unduly given the antisocial diagnosis uh, in much higher uh, amounts. And that's a diagnosis that I think we often use to give up on people, right? Because, and, and I've even heard it said, I thought found this kind of interesting. Oh, that's not a, a mental disorder. Right. Psychiatrists are actually, some psychiatrists don't want to claim responsibility for that. Um, to they give say that, that it's not in the purview of psychiatry. No, right. antisocial personalities or like psychopaths, severe antisocial. So let me just tell you, um, psychopath was the first term used. And that was when psychopaths were thought of being as being a little more psychotic then the term became more sociopath and that was when more social context right. was taken into account like you and lack then, of conscience and then the dsm no well not not for what i know about socio sorry go ahead, go ahead. well so I, something that i had heard and and i don't know how accurate this is but it was the impression i was operating under is that the psychopath versus sociopath thing that was in vogue for a while, there was some differentiation about a psychopath doesn't follow rules and doesn't have empathy and doesn't have remorse. A sociopath is operating under a set of rules that our society isn't into, such as like a gang member who may have excellent morals and may be functioning well within their own anthropological system and might even function as an empathic member of our society if, they were, if their rules were switched. Does it, so that's like I, people I in the Nazi Germany who are um, following uh, the orders to uh, um, uh, exterminate people and, and murder all these people, but they were actually kind to their families. So they, is that what you're saying, that, they, that they're doing these horrible acts, but they actually have this kind of uh, that's interesting. conscience I, toward their families and, and people they like? maybe come back to that when we talk about borderline yeah, personality. No, actually, I, I, um, I kind of wanted to kind of <laughs> definitively talk about the difference between a little bit about sociopath and psychopath and, and a social. But, you know, actually, in the research literature, it's actually not settled. But yeah, I do that's know this. The thing. They're, Rob, it's a, they're moving targets. People are just yeah. using it how they want to. I know and that's for sure no the psychopath... Like psychopaths, when I hear that, that's the more the personality, charming personality. Right. I that's think generally that that's seen as people with no remorse, no anxiety. Grandiose self-worth could be one. Yeah. Right. They break laws to the point Manipulative. that are more violent, maybe. Um, but then, anyways, what I was saying was it went from psychopath, sociopath, and now it's antisocial personality disorder. But when I'm doing reading about what the terms are that are being used... Um, People are saying you can have a psychopath that doesn't meet criteria for antisocial personality personality yeah. disorder, and you can have an antisocial personality disorder that doesn't. Right. Meet oh, for sure. Yeah. So, and it, sorry. Go. No. For go it. ahead. So, so the excellent, um, an excellent example of what you're saying is the, the book that gained a lot of popularity, the Psychopath Test, mm. which mm -hmm. was right. showing that like they, I don't remember what percent, but it was something like ninety percent of uh, CEOs. Yeah, were qualifying yeah for and i think they i can't remember whether you i'm sure they didn't use antisocial personality disorder they used something along the lines of you know empathy and, psychopaths right psychopath because it's not like you know obviously these people weren't criminally violent very often if they're ceos but they were able to sort of do their I have no empathy. Well, they've I'm talked charming. about like people in business being um, kind of no conscience, and they just um, you know they're kind of sociopaths or psychopaths. You know, there's there's a movie in the Company of Men. That, I don't know if you even watched that. I don't movie, know. Where where it, that, that's kind of like some of the premise. He's he's in business, but he's 
He's like, no conscience. When did this come out, Dr. Pierce? <laughs> See, now you're dating me. I'm old. So I'm sure it came out in the 90s or something. No, I'm sure someone should, someone should, check, should check that. It's a great movie, by the way, uh, with Aaron Eckert. But anyway. Well, I do want to share some numbers. Yeah. Um, so in the reading that I did, which was from the book Psychodynamic Psychiatry and Clinical Practice by Gabbard, um, he was saying that 3% of males and 1% of females in the general population could be diagnosed as antisocial personality disorder. And in the clinical setting, it can be as high as 30% of patients. Um, and obviously, it's higher in an incarcerated setting. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, it's not. It's 30% not. is a lot. Oh, sure. That's saying that's one third of the patients that you see, you diagnose with antisocial. Yeah. That is. If on an outpatient basis, I guess it depends where, what, why they're being it's sent. It's probably higher on an inpatient setting and lower in an. Yeah, I feel like, I feel like um, because I haven't worked in the prisons. I haven't work, uh, I haven't done a lot of um, you know parolees and and things like that. I feel like I don't have I have not seen a lot of it because mm-hmm. typically people don't voluntarily. Most of my work is with voluntary folks, and they don't typically don't want to voluntarily come in unless someone like a and family that, yeah, member. That's classic. And they actually, don't seek treatment because right, they right. don't feel like something's wrong with. And that. really, when you look at um, treatment effectiveness for um, folks like this, it's, it's kind of maybe turn a little bit to treatment effectiveness. Um, it's most effective when you have involved family members. They're a part of their community. Um, they have they have someone pulling for them and supporting them to get treatment and kind of mm-hmm. giving them this motivation to make changes. Mm-hmm. And really, you know, you don't. I, I this is. I'm sorry. I'm going to just say how I how I go about it. I'm mo- more toward. Okay, so upon what do you base decisions on? And it's hard to know for sure because it's hard to know if they're telling the truth mm-hmm. because right. there, there's all, there's always some side gain of like some some other family member or something like that or, or, or some other agency. But I try to like make, like let's try to do some um, almost ra- a rational calculation of why you want to avoid certain things and improve your life in certain definable ways. Like how, how do you stand to gain? Yeah, from because these behavioral changes. because research shows that antisocial folks, psychopathic folks, are more, are learn better with rewards. If they know the rewards are there, they mm-hmm. don't learn well with punishment. Mm-hmm. Like if you just tried to scare the person, if you said, "Well, you don't want to do that because you know the law is going to get catch mm-hmm. up with you," and uh, that's not going to work as effectively as you if you see the benefit and mm-hmm. they, they think it's an easy benefit. No, and that they, totally makes and sense. And they've also yeah. done like with gambling games, like. The the the, so the antisocial personality will take all kinds of risks to get that first reward to chase that first reward. Um, if you're just joining us, we're talking about antisocial personality disorder and treatment, um, and the kind of difference that we we find with um, psychopaths and the the term um, psycho um, um, psychopathy. I know that's sometimes confusing. So I did want to talk a little bit about what I've learned about the best treatment for antisocial personality disorder. And what I've learned in residency is that the best treatment so far is actually a highly structured residential treatment facility that specializes in treating Mm -hmm. antisocial personality disorder. Now, insurance companies generally don't pay for that treatment, so they're pretty much all private. Um, But what I've also understood is that this patients can do well if they know that they're firm and consistent um, um, limitations or, or boundaries you know um, what, what's the also they do, do in a residential consequences yeah, in a residential um, um, treatments environment they hold all the setting. rewards yes. and they hold all the consequences there are, lo- there are high authority figures there's more respect 
give in towards that. Um, but once they leave that setting, the benefits drop away. That makes complete sense because now they can, why, why would you have to be good? Right, and then when talking about is individual therapy beneficial, they say you actually want to take a look at um, take a look at uh, where they fall on the spectrum of severity of antisocial traits. So if they are more antisocial, meaning more um, more of a psychopath, then it's actually recommended that they don't enter into individual therapy because one, it is pointless; they will not benefit from it. And two, it could be dangerous for the therapist, well, in what especially way? if the therapist is a female. In what way? How is because it dangerous? the patient might manipulate the therapist to do what? Have sex with them. Do does that does that happen a lot? I think That's it's... apparently one of the fastest ways a psychiatrist will lose their license, or one of the most common ways a psychiatrist loses their license. I feel that that's the, uh, a common way that psychologists have lost their license. So I guess it's but I don't know if it was. I didn't <laughs> know if it was antisocial folks. Though. It's. An, I think it's an unpleasant but a real thing that, and it's not just manipulating into having sex with them. It's also doing violent harm. Uh, there's. Yeah, well, I mean, let's talk about like it, there's is a ch- a quote charming aspect of antisocial folks because there's they're completely you could see it this way they can just do whatever they want they don't they don't feel guilty about stuff they just do whatever they want mm-hmm. so it could be seen as appealing the the interesting thing if I, like so there were the, the I think before the five A's of schizophrenia there were the four A's is that right or before the four there were the five and one of the old A's was autism and it was used to mean sort of disconnection in a social setting and the interesting thing about uh someone with you know presumed with with if we were to use the word psychopathy would be they seem to have that autism but they seem to be able to portray not that and that's so they are able to use like the the illusion of empathy to get, gain their yeah. See the you know I, I just building on um, on what y'all are saying um, and and Tosha about about how it's some therapy can be dangerous. This is what I uh, have heard and ran across is that um, basically you have these empathy learning programs like so. If psychopathic folks, they're the ones that are more charming, more conning, more manipulative, and what we need to do is teach them how to be empathic, and basically what happened is that it just taught them more manipulation skills, more conning skills. They just uh, uh, were now able to simulate um, genuineness better, and so that's one of the reasons why it was kind of potentially damaging. It it didn't do anything to reduce recidivism, But, but having said that, I know that I did come across, I just want to mention this one study, that um, when they looked at antisocial personality, they did not predict recidivism. They did not predict reoffending and coming back. But when they looked, at, when they judged people based on psychopathy, which is the charming, manipulative type of psychopath kind of antisocial, that did predict reoffending and coming back. So that's the kind of person that we really need to be concerned about is mm-hmm. the, the person that can you know, seemingly appear normal, can be charming and, um, um, you know, very um, conning, manipulative, without a conscience, you know, that kind of thing. Less than the antisocial person, which is a straight rule violator, going to be fighting a lot, 
you're saying that term's more useless, and yet we've lost that term, right? We no longer own that term. We don't. We don't use, use it. It is diagnostically. We don't. Yeah, we typically don't use it. Unfortunate. Yeah. I think the the biggest issue I have with this is like it, that term seems useful uh, above and beyond antisocial personality disorder, and sort of portraying what I might find as evil, right? And people often know Charles Manson, Hitler, right? All these people that are sort of likened when you study, do case studies in these. And it's like, do we want to have, particularly for people who are found guilty but mentally ill, do we want to have this be a mental disorder? And that's and, and in that sense, I can identify with the people who say this is outside of the purview of psychiatry, Certainly, well, if, if you are diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder and that's your only diagnosis, you would not that is not enough to be found guilty by reason of insanity, right? That's that pretty consistent. Every, yeah, that's and pretty consistent I, I don't, everywhere. okay, really? Is that that's consistent internationally? I don't, I don't know about it, but it brings up a good point. Like, what, what is it about the group of psychiatrists? Why do some psychiatrists want to steer clear from um, taking ownership for that diagnosis? Yeah. Well, and and I, well, yeah, this this will have to be a, another discussion. <laughs> yeah, because we're right, we're we're kind of, we're kind of closing at the at the end here. Well, okay, so, um, you know, we've talked a lot about um, antisocial personality. Have have you ever met anyone that's you probably would think, yeah, he's probably antisocial. Or she, I say he because it's mostly he. But um, there's occasionally yeah, so a, a, there is a gender bias with antisocial personality disorder being diagnosed mostly towards a, a men. Do you feel like you personally have known and someone? I feel like I've known someone with a lot of traits. And yeah. how did you deal with them? Um, <laughs> that's really personal. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've broken up with him. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, no judgment. Um, uh, no, I feel like um, I feel like I have. It's actually scary seeing like children, especially if you see young oh, children yeah. with like conduct disorders, and they're setting fires and like breaking animals' legs, and you're oh, like, Lord. oh my god. Oh, yeah. yeah, and fire setting is it, like when, if there's fire setting, that has been correlated. They yeah. used to have a set of. And bedwetting used to be one of them, but I don't believe bedwetting is no, anymore. But no. fire setting is still. Yeah. Okay, and that's going to do it for this edition of Let's Get Psyched. Today we talked about antisocial personality and also um, psychopathy. Um, thank you to our co-hosts, Dr. Toshi Yamaguchi and Dr. D.M. Wynn. We were also joined by our guest host, Dr. Alan Atkins. Thank you, Alan. Special thanks go to our producer, Elliot Fong. This episode was recorded in the studios of KUCR on the campus of the University of California, Riverside. I've been your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks. Tune in next week for another edition of Let's Get Psyched.